So it's Black Friday. Have you done shopping yet? It's only what, 9.30, 8.30 your time? Uh, I have not. I have done no shopping um, whatsoever. <laughs> I didn't plan to because I always try to get it done earlier. Like we try to get ours done mid-November. But then I feel like you only spend more money if you do that because you're like kind of done, but then all these sales pop up and you're like, oh, this, oh, that, oh, this. And you have more time to figure out all the things you didn't buy. (laughs) So then I'm like, oh, and I just, you guys have done your shopping already. Well, we keep it really simple, like very, very minimal. We don't, we do not go crazy for Christmas. Uh So like we try to get the kids like a movie each like a book each and like a toy and maybe some clothes. Like it's not, it's not crazy. And with the shipping this yeah. year, we didn't really know how that was going to pan out. But this morning, so Ash and I decided to get an Apple TV as our gift for each other and just keep mm-hmm. it simple. But then I ended up buying him three pairs of pants this morning <laughs> for like work and jeans because he needs them and they were on sale. And I'm like, why not? And so we're going to just end up getting each other more stuff and an Apple TV. So Yeah, yeah, we're going to Canada for Christmas and we're driving. So we do have some space, more so than if we were flying home, but really not that much space because we know that the kids are going to be getting things there. So we're trying to like keep it small. And then maybe we'll, maybe what we'll do is we'll like pick up their stockings and stuff once we're in Canada. Like we'll get all those, like we'll go to the dollar store or whatever and do stockings. I needed a new winter coat because now we're in Minnesota and it's freezing. (laughs) It was like 10 degrees yesterday. We went for a, we tried to go for a walk in the morning and Cam cried. Oh, <laughs> we we got outside. We had all of our gear on. We start walking. He's like, it's so cold. I'm so cold. I want to go home. Oh, poor buddy. <laughs> I was like, buddy, it's going to get worse. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's been cold here in the mornings. Like my mom has been checking your weather up there like while they were staying here. And we went to the hounds, blessing the hounds. Oh, yeah, nice. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's like the same temperature up in Wisconsin and Minnesota right now. Yep. Yeah. No, yesterday was cold. And um, we, we I was like seeing people's Instagram stories of Blessing of the Hounds and I was like, oh, we miss it. It was our first <laughs> one and it was only me and my parents because Ash decided he didn't want to go. Well, it was kind of poorly planned. Like we didn't solidified plan so when the morning came it was like ah and then the kids were like no I don't want to go so whatever but anyway we got there early they had roasted and toasted the food truck there so we got coffee and breakfast and it was just it was gorgeous it was cold but it was gorgeous outside it was really fun it's really cool so so in that back parking area people like tailgate like for hours beforehand so we're gonna do that next year yeah, it is. It is really fun. We've always had a good time. It just feels like very festive or I don't know, very like it was so southern local. <laughs> I don't know if they do the same blessing every year but as they're like blessing, you know, the the rider and the horses and the hounds. And then they go, bless the foxes as they partake in this event. <laughs> I was 
it's just like the poor foxes. So there's no foxes. There's not. <laughs> not on that hunt. Apparently it's like a drag. It's like a chase. It's not a real hunt. Um, but it was just so funny how they worded it. Like these foxes are like, <laughs> like oh, being tossed, even though they're like the, they're not willingly participating. <laughs> no it was really good Mm -hmm. um it was so sad though because it was the first year minus us being in kansas that we didn't celebrate with you guys since like i know 2014 so So crazy we didn't celebrate with anyone so it's fine (laughs) i know i like miss like like, when we used to do the holtzes and you guys and us you know Mm -hmm. so the the kids' school is requesting that the kids get COVID tested before they go back to school after Thanksgiving. Interesting. But I kind of want to just email them and be like, we were kind of quarantining over Chris- over Thanksgiving because Robert was sick anyways. So do we need to do that? Because I think if they're here, if they're under three, you have to have an office visit for a COVID test. Like you can't, I don't, well, actually that might've changed, but it, like, I wasn't sure if we could do rapid tests with them at like CVS or whatever. It, they were just requesting they weren't requiring it so i might just be like we didn't have covid before thanksgiving we didn't see anyone yeah COVID. that doesn't that would not make sense to get a test if you didn't yeah. go anywhere or see anyone the kids are getting their shots next saturday Ooh, that's exciting i need my booster i need to make an appointment for my booster before we go to canada um yeah because you have to have like proof of vaccination at the border and and then you have to have a covid test 48 hours before you cross the border and then before we come back we have to have covid tests even the kids everybody mm-hmm. oh those tests are i had one i got tested a couple weeks ago and man it tears i was like that so, they, goes so far up yeah i had one that was like that like way <sighs> back earlier and it was terrible but they're doing different swabs now that aren't so aggressive and i'm pretty sure robert's swab that he had was in his mouth they were they're old school where we yeah, up in your brain no sometimes they get up in your brain and it is awful and poor david he got one last year he was the only one in our family to have to have a test and he like was like oh it went so far up and i'm like oh it couldn't have been that bad and i'm like oh yeah no it, uh, it uh, the, did you do a drive-by one on fort bragg because those guys got into my brain <laughs> i'm sure they were just trying and, to hurry through because bobby did his and bobby's didn't seem that bad like it you could tell he didn't like it but he was fine and i'm like choking and gagging coffee <laughs> <laughs> and the guy's like if you fight it it's worse like don't fight it and i was like i physically can't not fight this. like <laughs> no i tried really hard and my head still went back to the wall and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> i'm being violated at the moment <laughs> like, yeah. this is not I'm, you're lucky i'm not punching you like <laughs> it was so bad yeah. uh, good times Hi, and welcome to the Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast. I'm Addie Holzman. And I'm Haley Kava. We're friends, pelvic floor physical therapists, moms, and occasional hot messes who are here for real, uncensored conversations about all things pelvic health. And because our conversations are uncensored, they're likely not appropriate for little ears. Please remember our disclaimer. Although we both are licensed physical therapists, we are not your physical therapist. Yeah, anyways. And our content is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team for individualized advice, diagnoses, and treatment.
So what we wanted to talk about today was the worst advice we have ever heard our clients tell us that they've gotten or advice that we've gotten that's been terrible. And just like a disclaimer, because we get pretty heated about this stuff when we hear really bad advice. I feel like all advice from healthcare professionals isn't isn't like meant to be bad advice. I think it's coming from a point of people wanting to help you. They just don't have the education or training in what they're advising. You know what I mean? Right. But that is not to put people off the hook because (laughs) if you're a medical provider in a medical setting and you're giving bad advice that is outside of your realm of training or scope of practice, it's negligence. Yeah. And so there has definitely been cases where, you know, my clients have faced and received advice that was negligent and it really isn't excusable. I don't think that there's any repercussions that would have come out of it. And thankfully that, you know, they got into good hands. It was just, it's still, yeah, I think we really need to hold people more accountable so that they do better. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of like stay in your lane. Like if you don't know about a particular area, like that's why you refer out. I feel like that is the problem with the hierarchy mentality or like layout of our medical system is that like primary care providers are, are kind of the point of contact, but they're not, they're kind of like, um, jack of all trades because they have to know about like everything. oh yeah absolutely but then again like they're not an expert in movement or they're not an expert in like subdivisions of medicine so that's where their responsibility is to refer to people who can actually help but then I feel like sometimes that power is taken advantage of and referrals aren't made that should be made And then the clients suffer as a result. Yeah, like the assumption that a referral to the therapies, so whether that's OT, PT, speech, yeah, you know, just being informed as to what we do as like, what is that, like accessory healthcare providers or lateral, what is Um, that word? What is the word I'm looking for? Allied healthcare. Yes, allied. (laughs) Yep. It's like the, this assumption that it's, yeah, like, or, or the, unawareness of what we actually do and what we actually know, um, I think is really a a problem. And when um, sometimes healthcare providers only experience with physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy or any of the, these other allied health professions is with maybe within their health group or maybe um, in a small community where the training and the capabilities and the resources of those therapist is limited, right? So if uh, if a doctor's only experience with pelvic floor physical therapy is physical therapy within their within their group, right? Where it's largely biofeedback, supine, kegels, whatever, that's their only experience with what we do. Right. And so then then they believe that that's what we all do. Very false. When <laughs> when that is far, far from it. And I would say largely now more and more physical therapists like are seeking this amazing training, amazing training that gives us so many skills. Like my, my older son is an OT right now. The OT that he's seeing knows like so much, like she's amazing. She we're working on reflex integration and all these cool exercises that like 
she's she's recognizing some oral motor like overflow when he's trying to process things and it's like unbelievable what she can see and pick up on and it's like i would even me as a physical therapist would have never known that an occupational therapist would specialize in this and so really getting out there and or or taking on the responsibility as a allied healthcare provider to help educate other healthcare providers what we what we do and how we can do it and the potential benefits for their clients. Yeah, I think that's huge. So that's a, that's a really long caveat to what we're about to talk <laughs> right. about. Yeah, because no one healthcare provider can provide all care. That's why a team approach is so important and trusting your person. So whatever provider you're seeing, you have to have that relationship that you trust them. And then, you know, you know, you're in good hands. But anyway, yeah. on to all of the advice that should not be followed. <laughs> That has to do with pelvic floor. I think the one we hear the most and is kind of most popular is just have a drink or two before you have sex if it hurts. And then that will help you relax because you're just too tense. This screams like 1950s to me. Like this screams, oh, like, you know, you just need to relax with a glass of wine because I can see where it stemmed from. Wine relaxes you. And if you have a tight pelvic floor, okay, I can see where it stems from. However, why is a medical professional prescribing alcohol? (laughs) Which is clearly like that. And it's like that is insane. Like, why are we encouraging people to drink more? Yeah. Yeah. And then, like, but have you inquired to if this person drinks at all? So, like, say you have a client who doesn't drink and because of a personal or otherwise choice medication and now you're on yeah yeah it's like this is not comprehensive not comprehensive care yes so that one that one drives me crazy and to me that one is negligence that is very bad medical advice that's bad medical advice and it seems so misogynistic yeah oh god like all of the things like it just reeks of what the hell Mm -hmm. Like it drives me crazy. I've heard, I've had clients many tell me that is the advice they've gotten. It's not a myth. It's not a myth. Like, no, no. This is not like, oh, I heard it once. This is like on a weekly basis I hear this. Yeah, it's bad. Mm -hmm. The other thing that drives us crazy is the perception that pelvic floor therapy is just Kegels. So what do providers suggest? Oh, you don't need to go to PT. You can just do Kegels. Yeah. Have you ever heard of this thing called Kegels? (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever heard of Kegels? Yes, Karen. We've heard of Kegels. (laughs) Everyone knows what Kegels are and they're not helping. (laughs) Right. That's Um, like, like one of the hardest things to get clients to do change wise is to change habits and, uh, and revolving around movement and exercise. It's a very difficult task that physical therapists have, um, to help, help make, people do things that they weren't doing before, you know, compliance even to medications is, isn't great. So, you know, encouraging someone who to move their body, um, who never has, you know, is a big deal. And so when we approach that with clients, it's like a process of helping them change habits and understand why and, um, showing them the benefits and showing them how it can help their body, so how effective do we think it's going to be to say, you know what, you just need to, you just need to exercise. You just need to Kegel 
Like, what, what does do that you mean? Need? Like, how often? How much? How do I do yeah. it? Like, yeah, there's that, so that many prescription. Parameters. Yeah, there's a prescription involved, and I used to be embarrassed by that term, exercise prescription, because I used to think like, oh, that's the that's that's the power I have is an exercise prescription. It doesn't have as much power as like a medical medication prescription. But I've become more and more comfortable with that that term and taking pride in that when I've had clients who've been taking opioids prescriptions or heavy pain pill prescriptions and seen no improvement, but with an exercise prescription seen a full 180. Mm -hmm. And so I think in my mind, taking that as in terms of versus like shame of like, oh yeah, exercise prescription, wait, wait. No, this is like going to change your life. Yeah. It, to put it in perspective of how that makes us feel as pelvic floor PTs to hear that people are just saying, oh, just do Kegels instead of skilled PT. It's like, oh, you don't need to go to the doctor. Just take your blood pressure or just take your weight. Like as if that's all doctors do, or you don't need to go to a dietitian. Just eat healthy. Like what does yeah, that even just, mean? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Just eat healthy. Like, okay, can you so give me some I details? Carrots? Uh, do I eat diet soda? Is that healthier? You know, like what, again, yeah, there's so much more to it than squeeze the muscles that stop your pee. Yeah, that just drives me a bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so... Um, especially if they're told to do it like at stoplights. I remember that being the common advice. Like just do Kegels every time you hit a stoplight. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. what? So anyway, yeah. Kegels aren't bad, but there's way more to doing Kegels than people think. Right. Exactly. And yes, there's more to it than just than that. I'm thinking of, oh, I don't, I don't know if this is medical advice. Well, I guess it is kind of. It's something that a medical provider has said is like, it wasn't that bad. Ooh, gaslighting at its finest. So your, yeah, like your birth or your tear or your delivery wasn't that bad. And that to me is so infuriating because your experience matters and how you were feeling in your body matters. And that to me is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. And, and we need to believe, whoops, we need to believe people. We need to believe women and their experience. And that's yeah, it. along <laughs> the same lines of like, not getting consent for things, um, mm -hmm. which is not advice, but it just what commonly happens like cervical checks or um, mm -hmm. so, so that comes with the advice of you deserve to be informed about every decision that you're making in regards to your health. Signing a consent form when you go do to anything doesn't mean that they the provider has rights to do anything to you. That's a legal blanket thing, but informed, continuous informed consent is essential. And you can say no at any time. Mm -hmm. And that that's okay. Or ask them, like, instead of like, if you're scared to say no, be like, Hey, what is this going to tell us? Like, what mm -hmm. are the pros and cons of this procedure or this treatment? Um, can you tell me the risks? You mm -hmm. know, what are the risks? Risk, not benefits, doing? alternatives, you know, this is, that is informed consent. So I remember in PT school, 
we had a professor who taught us all about modalities like um, heat and ice and electrical stim and ultrasound. Like he was the modalities professor and he was so excited about modalities and so excited about teaching us every risk, every benefit, every alternative, all the contraindications for every single modality. And so when we had exams in that class, we had to go through with every, okay, we are going to do ultrasound or based on your symptoms, I believe that it might be helpful to try this tool. We're going to, um, this is how it's going to go. This is what it's going to be like. This is the sensations you might feel. Um, do you have any of these things? And you'd go through all the contraindications. Okay. No, great. These are all the risks. These are all the benefits. These are all the alternative treatments we could try. Would you like to proceed with this treatment? And it would take us like 10 minutes to talk through a modality you're going to do for eight minutes. Yeah. But what did you do right. in that 10 minutes? Like you built trust. Yeah. Like you no. gave them power in their treatment. Those yep. are and huge in therapeutic effect. Yeah. It's like, but then when you get into practice for real, because our coding and billing is when you're working in a traditional model is so time-based, it doesn't account the, the eight minutes of billing that you can do for that, that modality doesn't take into account the eight minutes that it takes to explain the risks, the benefits, the alternatives in order to have a great treatment with your client. And so yeah, it's very difficult. I think that's very difficult to navigate in our healthcare system. And it's easier to just have them sign a piece of paper that they likely didn't read that includes all those things and then carry on. And the assumption that like, oh, the risks are low. So I'm going to just assume this, assume, you know, that it's okay. And I think that's something that we can we can all get better at, you know, even, mm -hmm. even we get better at is just oh, yeah. get, continuously getting those, those consents. And, and even if someone's giving you a nonverbal cue that they're not totally comfortable, that, that, that's a hard stop for us too. Yeah. Like I, I am more sensitive to like the nonverbal cues, like when talking about internal exams, mm -hmm. <laughs> because not everyone gets an internal exam. And, and that's another like misconception I think of, like a lot of providers who do know about pelvic floor PT assume that it's always going to be an internal muscle muscle exam, which is not true. I mean, Haley and I are really comfortable with our external exams and treatment. So yes, like an internal exam gives us good information, but I am completely comfortable not doing it and still have confidence in, in what I'm doing as far as treatment. Yeah. I think you know, picking up when you start talking about the internal exam and they start like not yeah. in the eye or like wiggling around in their chair or like their eyes get wide. You're like, okay, well, let's, let's yeah, it's okay. It's right? okay to take that off the table or it's okay to recognize those signs and also reassure people that that doesn't mean that you can't get better. For sure. Um, another thing that I hear commonly are people are being told pregnant people are being told, Oh, just wait mm. until after delivery to go. To <laughs> like, no, like why, Ooh. like why would you, you don't have to be uncomfortable during your pregnancy for one. And two, there's a lot that we can do to prepare you for birth to make that mm. go smoother and educate you so that when it comes to postpartum, like you already know these things and stuff that you can start doing breath strategies, like, 
mobility stuff because when you're postpartum and you're tired as hell and your brain is working on like a 10% capacity, it's really hard to learn new things. (laughs) 100%. 100%. It's better. You do not, again, do not need to suffer in pain in pregnancy. And if you're in pain in pregnancy, it's usually a sign that maybe we have imbalances or it's t- your it's your body telling us something is not quite right. And so if we can get you feeling better, feeling more comfortable, you know, I don't know if there's I don't think there's any research on this, but just based on the last, you know, number of years of treating people, it's like that people who get really comfortable move really well in their pregnancies, have good mobility in their in their body have an easier time giving birth and easier time in recovery, but not always, right? There are things that happen. We can't always predict. At least you've been comfortable, <laughs> even if yeah. things don't go, you know, the exact way that you want. You know, I think more midwives and, and birth workers um, are more in tune with like baby's position. And also that, again, I'm not sure if there's any specific research on if baby's position um, does improve birth outcomes, but if if our body's in optimal position, it allows the baby to be in optimal position. Bingo, bango for sure. And there's, I mean, isn't there? There's research about like prehab before surgeries or like stuff like that. It's oh. kind of the same idea, yeah, you know, build uh-huh. that awareness and connection and strength and mobility because the more you have going into birth the quicker hopefully you'll reconnect with it after birth but yeah. a lot of times too i hear bad advice do your kegels to prepare for labor it's like mm-hmm. that your pelvic floor muscles do not push the baby out your uterus have, pushes the baby yes they have to relax and lengthen to allow the baby to come out i'm not against strengthening a pelvic floor in pregnancy mm-hmm as long as <laughs> right as long as also knows how to fully relax and exactly. the pelvis is in a good position mm-hmm. so if we're in a really extended really tight position and we're kegling a lot where we're kegling a lot where we're already good at kegling and and not getting that activation in areas where we're not great and so it's going to just feed the pattern that already exists if we have a stronger pelvic floor going into birth, just like if we have a stronger leg muscle before knee surgery, we're going to do better after. But around 35 weeks or so, we do want to switch our focus more to that lengthening, relaxing phase, because that's just good for preparing for our bodies for labor and birth. But yeah, no, I'm not against strengthening a pelvic floor or a hip or abs in pregnancy. Defining strength, I think, is important because a lot of people think strength is just power. But strength is the ability to move through the entire range of motion with control. Mm -hmm. So by learning how to relax and lengthen your pelvic floor, that is a part of the strength training and like getting stronger because then that pelvic floor is going to be able to go through that full range of motion with control. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's like getting people to realize like what strength is instead of thinking about like holding a surfboard in your by up by your right. vagina walking around that's not necessarily strength right that's your ability to tense a pelvic floor mm-hmm. i need Versus- to follow up on that lady that was like she like boomed a couple years ago right 
Right. Yeah. I'm curious if I'm, I'm actually really curious what her obturators are like, because I feel like it's those obturators that are holding that in and not her pelvic floor. Also, I want to know what is inserted in her vagina. Like, is it like a ball? Is it like more of a like rod? Is it like a Kegel way? Like what shape is it? I'm just so curious. So curious. Probably like a little Kegel weight, kind of like an ob, maybe, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> um, so the king of all bad advice, I think I heard this week. And I'm not going to give specifics because I know this this mom listens to our podcast. Um, but I just cannot. So there's a doctor that, for one, like really shit on pelvic floor PT to begin with and tried to deter this person from not even seeking out help, which is disgusting. Mm -hmm. And then went on to (laughs) ask her if she knew what Kegels were, which in (laughs) fact she does. So insulting. (laughs) It is. Well, he said it really condescendingly. And then he trumped that by telling her all she needs to do to have a strong core and pelvic floor are five minute planks five times a day. And I about shit my pants. I'm not even kidding. I like didn't know if I was laughing or crying, but it was just like, what in the actual fuck? Like, so we, yeah, like no progressive buildup. Like, you know what? I could respect the advice of like, start with like a 10 second plank, then build to a 20 second, you know, at least there's something happening there, but let's just start right away with five minutes of doing a plank. And that Mm. very well could lead to even trying to do that, which I, I could not hold a five minute plank five times a day. No, I could not even do it. A five minute plank. In what world do you need to have your core fully activated for five minutes straight? And this, this like really irks me because I've seen so many people plank holding their breath or doing it with a tight back, tensing their glutes and pelvic floor or getting so much abs that they're pounding down on their pelvic floor. And can you imagine doing that for five minutes? I have very few clients who when we put into a plank or a push up position can, can maintain eccentric core and eccentric pelvic floor, right? And feel that coordination while they're still maintaining a good plank so few so then what exactly is happening is that that pelvic floor is gripped to high heaven and so is their abs and it's like that's not functional all i like see is neck pain back pain Mm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. shoulder pain like that's all i see with that advice so please do not do five minutes don't do that five times a day to (laughs) to help your incontinence it's probably not gonna work i feel like that makes me feel like i'm gonna pee my pants just thinking about that oh my gosh i just literally could not believe it i'm like so so small tangents is that um my friend leah who's a pelvic floor pt in canada who just had her second baby she's she's amazing i love her she is doing a handstand challenge right now on her instagram oh you know her personally yeah yeah i went to pt school with her yep okay so So I know Leah because at the very first get together of PT school, (laughs) she was doing a slip and slide in her clothes. Nice. And I was like, I like this girl. I think we're going to be friends. (laughs) (laughs) So 
at first I could barely do it. And it was definitely like a challenge and it was definitely maybe more um, challenge than maybe what my shoulders and arms could handle from really not being super upper body focused lately. But really with practice and building up and then doing some accessory work to like support that, that it's, it is, it's getting better. It's getting easier. And it's, it's really cool to see that, to see that progression. And so I'm not, again, I'm not against challenging people, right? right? If you have a physical, strong physical challenge, like trying to do a longer plank hold, fine. Um, again, let's incorporate some other activities. Let's gr- create some variability. Let's, again, because women need strength training. We need that resistance. We need that for, for our bodies. And that's really, really good for us. So it is okay to have these big goals. But again, we want to do this a little bit more intentionally. Yeah, and that's what we do. PTs are the gurus of movement. Like we we know movement, we know mechanics, we know how to progress and progressive overload. And, you know, a good PT like is going to be able to get you doing your goals pain-free and not (laughs) hopefully injuring other things along the way, which, oh yeah. Anyway, there's a lot of poor advice out there. So you know, I think it kind of along the same lines of Kegels is like, oh, just get one of those LV trainers or here I have this special. We've already talked at length about these like Esmela Esmelda chairs or Kegel shorts. And it's like, all again, I think about is an electric chair. When you talk yeah. Like, are you, man, I'm going to die on this thing. Are you sitting on electricity? Like, I don't know how these things work. It's electromagnetic pulses. So I actually had a PT reach out who said that she sat on one she like (laughs) knew of the plastic surgeon I guess who had it and went and sat on it and she said it wasn't her pelvic floor wasn't even contracting so it's like in the chair these pulses yeah it's like a throne the stupid little throne thing you sit on (laughs) the kegel throne (laughs) yeah she said it was like buzzing she could feel like some buzzing but it wasn't creating a contraction like even like a e-stem probe would and I kind of felt that even when I use an e-stem probe, it was like, I never felt like it was actually making my pelvic floor contract. I just felt like, oh, I could sense it a little bit and then could work with it. Right. Awareness, like the proprioception and like mm-hmm. awareness. So the wands, the vibrating wands, mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about vibration <laughs> pelvic floor. Uh, those might be a good uh, tool to use if people aren't feeling their pelvic floor yeah with vibration like put them in and then you know contract around them or like lengthen around them just as like a yeah just as like a biofeedback awareness sensory input desensitization if we have sensitization issues if we have some nerve hypersensitivity like all of those things i think that would be really helpful i've been giving those to my postpartum moms like just a wand. I think I actually have done the vibrating wand for most of them. I started out doing that with friends that knew, you know, my Mm -hmm. level of passion for postpartum recovery. But now I'm like, I've been getting them for my clients that have had babies because I'm like, you know what, this might not be something you would want to spend your money on. So I'm going to gift it to you because you thank me later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was super helpful for that, like, perennial scar, healing, you know, all that good stuff. 
So the hot cold wand. I think for people who maybe have a lot of like maybe the sensation of like burning or like inflammation. I feel uh, I've heard that people who have endometriosis and other types of pelvic pain tend to really like it. The cold. Excuse me. I feel like um, early. Excuse me. Uh, early postpartum, like ice can be helpful. Um, I don't know if I would be wanting to insert it, but there's like these um, icicles, like, like icicles. <laughs> yeah, kind of like a corksicle <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that you can, um, that some women and in some hospitals they used to give women postpartum to like actually put internally. Yeah. So I think because some people will do like fill a condom with a little bit of alcohol and water so it's like kind of hard but not frozen i feel like that would be so cold like so aggressively cold i guess with that with the alcohol then it doesn't get to that like the freezing point is different yeah you know like but yeah i, I don't think i would have was gonna put anything inside of my body in those early weeks postpartum no it but, was like you didn't want anyone any anything but, anyone near there but it potentially could could have been helpful maybe after like pelvic floor surgery or you know maybe post surgical um that would be helpful i don't know i'm not sure you'd have to talk to your surgeon about protocols and stuff like that yeah i feel like the chronic pain arena would probably be the best mo- most common use for mm-hmm. that um mm-hmm. i need to get one of those but try it out yeah other bad advice is <laughs> Yeah, like just relax. I That's... hate like I'm guilty of saying that in the past until I realized how unhelpful that is. Yeah. But like it's true. I mean, breathing does help regulate you, but it's also like well, we're not saying to people just breathe. We're saying right. <laughs> we're gonna go into this position and then take some nice breaths and just see what you experience. So like it's different than very different. <laughs> than yeah. And oh, just just breathe. Just breathe. It's good. The OT that it, I'm, we've been working with, um, she said she took a class that was called um, If You Can't Breathe, You Can't Do Anything. Mm, mm-hmm. And it was a whole bunch of like techniques to use on kids to help them breathe better. And I have to show you some of them like um, because I've tried some different manual techniques on Cam before and he doesn't like it really. Like he doesn't like when I press on his rib cage, kind of like fights back. And I think that's some of the reflex integration stuff we're working on. But so we used a ball and um, had him lay on his back to start and you you put the ball on his body and you like pat the ball. Okay. That's he, so when we were watching his breathing, he was like really in that desynchronous pattern of like his belly and his rib cage were like out of whack yes and so you we were doing like this on through the ball onto his ribs and then turned on his side and turned on his back and turned on his other side and we just like we're kind of percussing the ribs and then when he flipped back he had like these nice coordinated breaths and we were like oh this is cool him and owen are very similar in their tone yeah i'll set i gotta show you so we are, are integrating his morrow reflex right now so the moral reflex is a lot is it is when in babies when they feel the sensation of falling that they come in and then fling back, right? Mm-hmm. So so when we were looking at Cam's like neck motion and that he's kind of living in that like state a little bit. And so we're doing practicing him going into that reflex. So ball wrestling. So we're holding onto a ball and like trying to stay tucked up and 
Um, and then this popcorn thing where you've got to like curl all up and then count to six and then pop up and like move up and and chin back and then go back into it and pop out and move. So yeah, we're doing some cool, cool stuff that I'm, I'm excited to see. Like he's been sleeping better. I feel like his, like his regulation has been better the last like week or so. So um, it's all been really, really cool. And like I said, I don't know if I would have pursued occupational therapy because I, again, wasn't, I didn't really know. I was just uninformed, but maybe also because not every OT is created equal, just kind of like we were talking about with physical therapy too. And then I was also kind of dismissed when I brought it up to his pediatrician. And I think I really, really like his pediatrician and overwhelmingly Cam is doing fine developmentally speech, you know, he's good. So when I brought up some of these, you know, just small things, he was like, and I was like, well, I'm thinking about maybe starting OT with him. He was like, yeah, if you take any kid to OT, they're going to find things. Yeah. Or, you know, they're going to find limitations. And so I was like, yeah, I'm, that's fine. But what if they can help? (laughs) Right. Like, why wouldn't we want to try to make our kids as effective as possible and feel as like good as possible? I just had this conversation with, um, with a client whose husband is a dentist and like Mm -hmm. kind of not into the PRI stuff, but edging that way. And Mm -hmm. because we were talking, all my kids are in dental appliances. So Mm -hmm. my kids are five, seven, and eight. And the older two started at five and six, um, with their dental appliances. And and David just kind of graduated where he only has to wear it at night now. So it's been less than two years of having his elf. Like Owen had the most obvious signs of like hyperactivity, mouth breathing, bedwetting, that kind of, and I knew he was extended like PT wise, like I could see how extended he was. So he had sleep apnea and, but then I'm like, you know what, David doesn't really have any like crazy symptoms, but I was told when he was two, that his teeth were already too crowded and he would need braces someday and all that stuff. Like why not try to get on top of this before it becomes a problem and spend like the four grand now instead of paying for braces when he's 12, (laughs) you know, like, but everyone has kind of a different threshold of their goals, right? Like it depends on your headspace and your financial situation, your time and energy and all this stuff. There's always more things that we can do to get better health in any facet of health you know what I mean Mm -hmm. um but I just like dental was really important to me because I feel like getting them in a good spot and like good facial growth before the age of 12 when they're 90 percent grown in their face is important and so that's where we decided to like put our energy and money but yeah it's gonna be different for everybody and I think like the more you know the more you're like oh that that might help that might be you know take care of this or help with this or whatever but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's been a huge game changer for owen um we as far as the breathing exercises um we've tried he's been he's just started yesterday blowing bubbles with his gum and i was like ooh, like this might be a good exhale activity because he's like really trying hard you know like (laughs) like concentrating and um i was like that's good and then he loves blowing up balloons So that's been awesome. We play airplane, which 
I think he's a little bit too tight for that because I gently like just take his arms and my feet are on the front of his rib cage. So like he can't really breathe into the front of his, he really has to get that posterior movement, which he doesn't have. So he like doesn't tolerate it super long. Yeah. We're doing a uh, little, uh, pa- um, paper towel races. So balling up little pieces of paper towel and getting down the floor and like trying to see how far they will go like crawling yep so or like we're laying down and like taking a big breath in and having long breaths out to like um and then lots of stuff with straws she's like sucking and blowing activities like give them that like oral stimulation that they need yeah um because she said sometimes if you watch like when they're concentrating on something or doing something difficult then that's when like the tongue will start kind of like moving around um and so giving them some more of that like oral input is helpful we just got one of those weighted wall balls Mm -hmm. so they're like a lot smaller than a swiss ball and so like he he'll i'll even lay on those like when i feel like i need my sternum to go down (laughs) um but he'll like hug it and kind of lay on it and breathe to like get that back expansion but you'll have to show me like the other stuff that you're doing because he he still needs a lot of work on like breath integration even though overall he's doing better but man it's a process is not (laughs) a quick one either yeah yeah i think the more the more you know like the more complex I, i always have said that about pri too like every pri class i take my patients get more complicated and i think really like we are complicated humans oh, yeah. are complicated and I was telling the OT I was like dang like uh, you know the stuff that we're working on now I wish that a lot of my clients had had when they were kids you know yeah so I, now we're dealing with the same things in adults who yeah never learned to breathe and never learned to regulate their nervous system and um yeah, it's it's inter- really interesting. So, do you know who Kelly Stark is? Is that his name, Kelly Stark? The supple leopard person? Yeah, yeah. So, he just had a really good post. I'm trying to find it. All right, so this was his quote. It may be that the most complex structure in the known universe, the human brain, attached to the most complicated and sensitive physiology in the known universe, your body, in the most complex societal structure in the known universe, yes humans cannot be adequately explained in 30 second tiktok video anyway it was right drawing light to like how complicated we are and like there's so much we don't know about our brain and our body and how things work and it's fascinating like the more you know the more you know you don't know exactly the advice that really and given this is per situation there are some situations that this may be absolutely appropriate but if it hurts, stop doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we say that to our kids all the time, yeah. right? Like, well, stop doing it then. It's like, oh, you, you like to run five miles and it, stop. then stop. <laughs> Just stop. Like, uh, that, like, no, I'm coming here for, I'm coming here helpful because I want to do these things. Yes. Yes. I, I that is the advice I received when I was dealing with prolapse and they said, Oh, you want to jump and lift weights? Well, just don't do that. That's, <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, bye. Yeah. You're obviously <laughs> going to work out. 
Oh my gosh, that's so annoying. Yeah, so just like finding there's a way. There's always a way. And sometimes that way does involve surgery. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that way does not involve surgery. But, But we've got to try. Speaking of that, other bad advice is like, regardless if you're getting surgery or not, oh, you don't have to go to PT. Just get the surgery or right. just wait till after the surgery to get PT. Yeah. I've, I've had clients who've had very major surgeries, whether they were orthopedic or otherwise being told, oh, physical therapy won't do anything. Oh, it's so frustrating because. Yeah. And like, oh, I have just a vertical incision through my entire abdominal wall. There's no reason why I would need support and healing with that. It's like, are you like- kidding? <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like they don't understand scar mobility and the healing process and like yeah. how your body. Yeah, and I, it's sort of this concept of like, uh, surgeons are amazing, right? Like oh, yeah. their training and their skills are absolutely incredible. And Bobby makes fun of me because at my PT school graduation, one of the uh, speakers was like, you know, surgeons and doctors sometimes, or they save lives. Mm-hmm. right and, and they're like physical therapists we're not in the business of saving lives but we're in, in the business of making lives worth living yeah and so you know once that surgery is closed the person lived they didn't get a massive infection they didn't have a complication in their mind that's a win mm-hmm. that is a success mm-hmm. and the consideration of the life that that person has to live with that afterwards isn't part of their analysis of their success potentially right but that's what we do, (laughs) you know? And, and so sometimes when I would be having a rough day or whatever, busy day at work or something, Bobby would be like, did you make lives worth living today? You know what? Like, I know you're trying to be a jerk, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully that helps you navigate some poor advice out there because, and if you hear it, let us know, let us know other advice that you've heard that sucks and that you hate and make sure that you know your bush. Love your bush. Share, Share the bush you love. Bush you love. <laughs> you can communicate with Addie and I both in regards to the podcast questions, comments, concerns, topics that you want discussed on our podcast Facebook page, Don't Beat Around the Bush podcast, as well as our email account, which is don'tbeataroundthebushpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find our podcast on all the major podcast platforms. So please subscribe, comment, and share all the bushy love. It's probably pretty obvious that our episodes are edited and produced by Addie and myself. (laughs) And our music is provided by Blockhead. 